0: session four, and I'm calling this The Power of Prayer. We've uh, gone over several things. The first was the definition of prayer. I had a lesson on teaching us to pray, which is really posturing our hearts before God as we are wanting to learn and grow and what it means to be a person of prayer. It means that you have to start where you are and not act like you know more than you do or you're further than you are. And so we talked about posturing our hearts before God in humility, And then last week, I talked about intercessory prayer, which is simply to go to God on behalf of another and what it is that we pray for and who it is that we pray for. What's the substance of our prayer life supposed to look like as we seek God on behalf of others, on behalf of nations and Um, neighbors and the world around us, and so I had a thorough list. If you didn't get that list, you probably want to revisit it because it's something that I I drew right out of Scripture, and I think you'll find it very helpful as you look back on it. But in this session, I want to talk about the power of prayer, and it's more of an inspirational, exhortational message or word from the the Word. And I, I want to tell you this right up front, that God releases power when people pray. God releases power when his people pray. The truth of the Bible shows us this time and time again. We can look at many, many stories. For example, in Genesis chapter 18, we see that Abraham prays before God that he would spare Sodom. His nephew lived in Sodom, and as Abraham stood before the Lord, he asked him to spare the city. And I I don't know if you've ever thought about what it looks like to ask God to spare a city because of someone you love. Can you imagine that? I mean, he simply hears that God is going to destroy the city because of the wickedness and the inclination of their hearts was all wicked, and it was such a place. I mean, that's confusing for some people to think that a God of love would do such a thing. Can you imagine what it would take for God to do such a thing? Sometimes we look at this the wrong way, but I mean, what, the, what would the city have to be like for God to make this kind of a move? That's, that's, a nice, that's an interesting question to ask. And so here Abraham stands before the Lord and cries out to God that he would spare the city. I don't know if you've ever asked God to spare a city. I haven't. I've never asked God, would you spare this city? And this is what Abraham did. And the Lord, as he interceded, God, uh, God brought out his nephew God moved on behalf of Abraham's prayers. We see in Exodus 32, where Moses is praying on behalf of Israel, and, and he's, up, he's been up on Mount Sinai for some time. We see this is the time where God gives him, in Exodus 20, the, the Ten Commandments. And as Moses goes up onto the mountain, the Israelites are impatient, and they take their gold, and they supposedly throw it into the fire, and somehow a, a gold calf is fashioned, and they begin to worship this gold calf. And uh, as Moses is having communion with God on the mountain, he can hear the party, essentially, that's going on down below. And as, there, as he's hearing this, the anger of the Lord, it says, burns. And the Lord essentially says, in a paraphrase, he says to Moses, I'm going to wipe this people out. I mean, can you imagine and Moses says, may it not be for the for your character and your namesake, may it not be, may you not do this. And he begins to intercede for Israel because he loves the people and he walks with the people. And he said, may this not be the testimony that you wipe out this people. You bring them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt and all, all of that just to simply wipe them out because they worship a golden calf or they worship something else. He said, may that not be true. And it's, the Bible says that God relented from that which he was going to do because a man prayed. And I want to tell you, there's power in prayer. And we can't overlook the fact that Moses was the one that called out to God. Moses was the one that stood in the gap on behalf of a nation, on behalf of Israel. They were in the wrong, and God was going to execute righteous judgment. And said, the Bible says he relented because of Moses's prayer. You see in 1 Samuel chapter 7 where Samuel prays that God would deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines. And it's very clear that Israel is going to be overtaken. They're in an impossible situation. And without God moving, nothing is going to happen. And as they pray, as Samuel prays, God moves on behalf of Israel and delivers them out of the hand of the Philistines. You see times in like 1 Kings chapter 17 where Elijah prays that a widow's son who had died would rise from the dead, and this boy rose from the dead. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about a resurrection. I've actually met somebody that's been risen from the dead before. It's kind of an alarming thing. You just you you, you shake someone's hand who's risen from the dead, and you go, "You really you really died? You really you really died and rose again? That somebody prayed you back from the dead? I mean, it's surreal until you meet somebody, until you look into the eyeballs of a person that has actually risen from the dead. It's amazing. I mean, I had never even seen that or heard of that until I ran into a friend and became friends with somebody that when they pray in the nation of India and the nation of Sri Lanka, they have literally seen people come back from the dead. People that were dead, dead. Not just kind of dead, not maybe dead, but actually dead. It happened in the Bible and it still happens today. You see, in like Mark chapter 11, Jesus told his disciples to pray and believe that God would hear them according to his will. I mean, God hears us, loves us, and he responds to us. Prayer is very powerful. Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were released from prison. I mean, I, think about this. Peter and John prayed for a man uh, in Acts chapter 3 who was lame. Do you remember the man at the gate called Beautiful? There was a man that was lying there, and he was lame, and he was a beggar. And basically, when they're going into the temple at the hour of prayer, the beggar says, you know, will you, he's begging for alms, and he's asking them for money. And Peter looks at him, and it says he gazed at him and said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. He essentially calls upon God, releases the power of the Holy Spirit, heals him, and then they, are, they go to prison. They go to jail for healing someone. I mean, we get really excited about praying for people today, but what if it would actually cause a prison sentence? What if it would actually cause you to go to jail? Would you pray for someone? Would you heal the sick if it, if it meant that you were going to go to jail? Would you pray for somebody if it meant that somehow you were going to be persecuted? Because that's what happened to Daniel, and you, and you look at the power that was released in Daniel's life. He gets thrown into the lion's den because he's a man that didn't stop praying. Do you remember that story? He was committed to praying several times a day, and they couldn't get Daniel on anything. They wanted, essentially, to do away with Daniel because he was still devoted to Yahweh. And as the only thing that they could come up with is, hey, we know he's devoted to God in prayer, so let's, sign, let's get the, uh, the, um, the king to sign an edict that nobody can pray except to the king. And so they kind of somehow get the king to sign off on this. And of course, they go to Daniel's house when they know he's going to be praying. They catch Daniel praying, and he ends up getting thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel calls upon God. God shuts the mouths of of, of the lions when he's in the lion's den. And he comes out of there untouched, not even a scratch on him. And the person that caused the edict to happen in the first place is the one that ends up getting thrown into the lion's den when the lion's mouths were not closed. Amen. That story doesn't end well for him. But look what happened. There's power in prayer. There is power that is released when we pray. You see this time and time again. I mean, we have, I want to say this to you, we have such a privilege to be people of prayer in this hour. We, we, we have no hindrances right now. You and I have no hindrances as it pertains to persecution. I mean, maybe spiritually speaking, but definitely not naturally. You and I can pray anytime we want, anywhere we want. I, I'm, I get confused when we talk about how somehow it's been legislated that we've taken prayer out of schools Prayer cannot be stopped, ladies and gentlemen. You can't take prayer out of schools. The only way you could do that is if non-Christians were just running the school and only non-Christians went to the school. That's the only way that you can get prayer out of the school. But if you have one Christian, that person can pray. You can't take prayer out of the schools. What we're talking about is public prayer. I don't need to have a platform to pray. Nobody was bothered by that in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Nobody was bothered by some kind of edict that said, you can't pray. They just kept praying, even if it meant that they were thrown into the lion's den, even if it meant that they were going to go to prison. They kept praying for people because they knew that there was power in prayer. I wonder if we've lost the simple fact that there is power in prayer. I I wonder if we've lost this reality. I really do. I wonder if if the Christian church has simply lost the truth that there is power when we pray. And we definitely hound on reading the Bible, and I think we ought to, knowing the truth of God, which we need to. But I'm telling you, I really think that there is a spiritual opposition to the place of prayer. I believe that the enemy wants to stop you and I from praying because he knows that when God's people pray, something is gonna happen. The enemy knows that, and I think he knows that more than sometimes we do. I think the enemy knows that if we go to God in prayer, that something is gonna change. The kingdom of darkness is going to be shattered, and the kingdom of God is going to advance. He knows that. He wants to deceive us from believing that. He wants to hinder us from that, and you and I need to be sharpened. And shaped in this reality of that there is power in prayer. Our discouragements cannot lead us. Biblical truth has got to lead us when it pertains to this. Time and time again, we see a scripture. I mean, Paul and Silas were in jail in Acts chapter 16, and the Bible says that they are singing. I mean, I don't know many people that sing while they're being persecuted in jail, but I'm certain that it happens. I just can't even envision it because it hasn't happened to me, but they are singing and they are praying. And as they are doing that, the Bible says there was an earthquake and the earthquake shook the jail to the point where it unhinged the prison doors. And it's amazing. This very thing is what leads to the salvation of the jailer. I could go on about Daniel and Jeremiah and David and Jesus and the disciples. I'm just simply saying tonight that God moves in power as his people pray. God moves in power. Power is released through our prayers. I'm concerned that we've lost that simple truth. I was talking to a friend just the other day, and I don't know why I didn't know this, but He tells me basically that during our prayer time at church, we have this section that we've been opening up for the last several weeks. And he told me that uh, we did it since Good Friday, actually. And he said that there was a condition that he had been suffering from for about a year and a half. This is a friend of mine. I didn't even know that he had this condition. He never told me. But he had been suffering from this condition for about a year and a half. And he simply walked up to somebody on the prayer team. He got prayer, and it was very simple. There was no really amazing methodology. The person didn't throw any pixie dust on him. There was, it, this person wasn't a perfect person of faith. None of that. Does, he doesn't even remember who it was necessarily. But God healed him of that condition that he's been suffering from for a year and a half. I didn't even know he had the condition. I'm telling you, there's power when we pray. Yeah, maybe you haven't seen everything happen, neither have I, but there is power when we come to God. This is time and time again. I've, been, I've seen this happen all over. I was thinking about how this year has been a difficult time, this year and last year, not only with the political season, but also just with the terrorism and the racial divide and the violence and the hostility, whether it's with um, racism and racial issues from police officers. Many are still under investigation. All of this that's going on, including the political arena, And people probably feel like, well, what can I do? What am I supposed to do when all of this is going on? I'll tell you what we must do. We must pray. We must pray. We must be a people of prayer. And I think we forfeit our our prayer life. We forfeit our voice before God often when we're too busy giving our opinions. That's what I think ends up happening to the people of God. We end up forfeiting our influence. We end up forfeiting our voice and we stop spending time with God in the secret place because we're too busy giving our opinions in the public place. And when we forfeit our voice to public opinion or popular polls, we are for sure not spending time with God doing the very thing that changes the world right before our eyes. We read story after story of the sick being healed and the demons that are in people being delivered and cast out. We read story of hearts being mended and people's lives being transformed and people being saved. We read these stories, and I don't know if it gets into our soul and starts to change and transform our viewpoint on how we see this very topic. I think we need to let it do that. I think we are called to shake hell with our prayers Whatever happened to the men and women that shook hell when they started to pray? That the devil really was scared when people started opening their mouths before God? What happened to that? Why have we turned it into something religious? Why have we turned it into something that for some reason we don't see what it really is? Why have we done that to it? We need to recapture this place before God. We really do. I want to stir you to that. I want to stir you. I want to motivate you. I want to call you to the very place that God himself has allowed you and I to be. The Bible says to boldly come before the throne of grace in our time of need. And I would say to you that this is a time of need. Whether it's a time of need for you or not, I don't know. But it is an hour of need for the people in our world. It is an hour of need. And God moves as we pray. You say, well, I don't know about praying prayers for nations. Man, the people in the Bible just didn't know any better, did they? They just prayed for nations. They just thought, man, God might move on behalf of a nation. God might save a nation in a day. There are people that have believed that. I want to be like that. God's that big. He is, in fact, that big. It doesn't scare God. Well, that's too big of a prayer for me. God doesn't think like that. I love it how my kids, I've said this to you before, they just, sometimes they do it just to get the prayer over with, but they simply pray for the world. They don't know where to stop. They'll start with one person, and by the time they get to the second person, they just pray for the whole, world. Well, let's, cu- let's just cover the whole world. God, would you just save the whole world? And sometimes as a father, I'm like, I know you want to go to bed quickly, you want to get into your comic book or whatever you're reading, but I, sort of, I started thinking that it was a pretty powerful thing in the child likeness that They just don't consider that a big deal. They don't consider that some kind of lofty. It's just a go-to for them. I see how hesitant we can be to pray something like that. Well, is God really going to do that? I mean, you know, it's kind of a I mean, shot in the dark, isn't it? I'm not really, I'm not really sure. But I just want to tell you, I believe that this is what we must do. We need to pray for the situations in our world. And I, I would say it to you like this. I believe that things are handled and settled in the place of prayer. Are you anxious tonight? Are you fearful? Are you doubtful? Are you in difficulty? Do you have turmoil in your soul, depression, anxiety, all kinds of unbelief? Do you find yourself struggling with something right now? I'm not saying everything's going to go away overnight, but I'm asking you if you have something. The Bible talks about in James chapter five, it talks about anybody that's grieving or anybody that's sick or anybody that's in sorrow or pain. These words expanded, mean these things. Is there anybody in these situations? Let him pray. It's just that simple. Let him pray. Peter puts it like this. He says, give all your anxieties to God for he cares for you. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about coming to God in prayer. Now, I started thinking, if prayer is so vital and fundamental and so powerful in our lives, why is it that we don't pray? This is just the genuine question that I've had before God. If prayer is so powerful, why don't Christians pray? I thought, maybe it's that we're lazy. Maybe it's that we, um, we got better things to do. Well, no, because we know it's powerful. So it can't be that we really believe we got better things to do. But, so what is it? Is it just that we don't pop out our iPhone and put it on the calendar? Is it, is it just a scheduling issue? And maybe if we got our calendars to line up, we would, we would, we would probably have more time in prayer. Is it, is it just that we're too busy? And if we, if we started lowering the bar of busyness in our life, that somehow we would make it happen? I, I, I thought that for a little bit. You probably have thought that. I think it's fair to think that. But is, is, is it true that maybe we're just too busy and that's, what, that's the problem? Is that, is that all that it is? If I just, when I get around to it or I unbusy my schedule or I let go of this or when my kids stop playing sports or maybe when I get back from my vacation, is, is it then going to happen all of a sudden? Or when I don't work 50 hours a week and I work 40 hours a week, I'm going to have more time to pray? Is it just a scheduling issue? See, I don't think it's a scheduling issue. I think it's a deception issue personally. I think that the enemy is highly involved in resisting us from coming to God when we pray, or coming to God to pray. I I believe that the enemy is trying to prevent us. I think he is invested. He has an investment against the church to stop us from bringing this breakthrough as it it were pertained to this place in prayer. I, I was not long ago, I preached on this, and I talked. Uh, I was talking to the Lord. I asked God, what, what is it?" And He showed me this vision. I remember I was um, in this vision. I was uh, kind of elevated up in the air, maybe like 50 to 100 feet high, and I could see this big, thick wall. This wall was, you know, maybe like I don't know. It was like two, three feet thick. It was a cement wall. It was maybe 20 feet high. And all I could think of was like the Great Wall of China. If you've ever seen something like that, it just reminded me of something like that, but not as thick, but very similar. And as I'm looking down, I'm noticing that on one side, there is, it's like there's there's really... Everything that we wanted, I, I don't know how to describe it other than to say like the breakthroughs that we're looking for, the things that we feel like God has called us to. We're like, I knew they were all on this side and, and there were no people on this side. It was, just, it was just clear and clean and it was like freshly cut grass, but I knew on this side was where, was where we were supposed to go. On the other side of the wall were all of these people, it was all of us. And we were all there. And it was really interesting to watch the people because many of them were like sitting down on the ground right next to the wall. Some were standing up, just kind of looking numb. And I, I was, I, as I was watching closely, I would even see like some people, they would walk up to the wall and bam, just hit the wall and keep doing it. Like they knew that they were supposed to get through the wall. They knew they were supposed to go to the other side, but they just kept running into the wall and they couldn't get through. They couldn't break through. And I noticed these large green, like metal containers. And this was as far as the eye could see. There were all these people, tons and tons and tons of people, thousands upon thousands. And there were these green containers every hundred yards or so. And in the green containers, there were like pickaxes and and uh, hardcore sledgehammers, and I mean, you know, real manly type tools. You know, I love these kind of tools. They just make you feel like a man. I'm not, I'm not sure how to encourage you women, but anyways, I'm just speaking as a man, and these are the like, rough, tough kind of things I wanted to play with when I was a kid, but these are heavy-duty tools, and I'm, I'm looking at the, these bins full of these tools, and I'm looking at the wall, and I'm thinking, Man, that's really all that we need to break through this wall. I mean, a few hits, maybe two, three hits of this sledgehammer, two, three hits of this pickaxe, and we're through this wall. That's all it would take. I mean, for me, I, I, was e- I could easily determine that. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, why, why isn't anybody picking up these tools and bashing through this wall? Why in the world isn't this happening? And I just couldn't think of why. And I watched these guys. There were these, these very salesman type uh, men that were walking through the crowds, and they were basically just telling the people, hey, just sit down. Don't try to get through the wall. There's no way that we can get through. Hey, just just settle. This is where we're supposed to be. They kept telling everybody on this side of the wall that this is where they were supposed to be, that this was their lot in life, that they needed to just settle down and, and make plans to be here and to stay here. And as people were listening to them, they started doing that. They started toning down. They started losing hope that they could get to the other side. They started to realize, I can't get where I need to go, so I just need to settle down and be where I'm at, and that's good enough for me. I could see it in their face. Hopelessness came over them, and then they just, well, what do I need to do to settle? So I'm watching this vision, and I'm thinking about what this was, and I felt like the Lord showed me that these tools were like prayer, essentially, the tools were like prayer, and that if the people of God, this vision was that God's called us to some things, and prayer causes us to break through to obtain what God has called us to and called us for, not just for ourselves, but for people around us and for people in our lives, for our children, for our spouses, for, the pe- for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for the people in our world, the people in society. I realized that these tools were prayers that God had called us to pray to break through and get to where God's calling us to go. And I thought to myself, this is really the enemy is sowing seeds into our hearts and into our minds to get us to settle down and to tone down and to stop believing God. This really is a matter of believing God. It comes all down to this, like what are we believing God for? I mean, so often the enemy, if he can't stop us in coming to Christ for salvation, what he really wants to do is stop us from growing in Christ and, and really get us to a place where just a little bit of religion is, is, is fine, is fine with, where are, with where we are. That's all that we, we really want. That's what he wants us to have, just a little bit of religion, a plate of religion. I don't mind if you go to church. I don't mind if you throw a little money in the offering plate. I just don't want you to grow in Christ, because when you start to grow, something's going to happen to me. I believe that the enemy is invested. He's heavily invested into this world, and he's investing into our lives seeds of doubt, so that we wouldn't believe God at higher levels. And I, I want to tell you something. You're in, you're in a war. You and I are in a war. Whether we know it or not. Whether we're taking up arms or not. We are in a war. And I think a lot of people are defeated before they even start. Start. They're just, we're just defeated, and you do not have to be defeated. Jesus is the conqueror. Jesus is the victor. We're already fighting from victory. We're bringing into our world what Jesus paid for. It's not something that we have to do in and of ourselves. It's just us believing in God and us pressing into what he's given to us to see what he wants to have happen. I was reading Ephesians chapter 6, and this is our, our scripture for tonight. I want to read it to you. In verse 10, listen to this. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, "'Finally, be strong in the Lord "'and in the strength of his might. "'Put on the full armor of God "'so that you will be able to stand firm "'against the schemes or the blueprints of the devil. "'For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, "'but against the rulers and the powers "'and against the world forces of this darkness "'and against the spiritual forces of wickedness "'in the heavenly places.'" In other words, just park right there. There are things going on that you can't see. There are things going on that you can't see. There is something that is trying to resist us that isn't always visible to us. You have to realize that. This is a very serious scriptural truth. Therefore, he says, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand having done everything to stand firm stand firm therefore having girded up your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one you see how the enemy he's he's giving us this theology that the enemy is in fact coming against us if you don't believe that then you don't believe the words of Scripture that are very clear. There are, there are arrows that are coming against you. There's an enemy that's coming against you. Do you, do you get the language here? I mean, at this point, he's chained to, at, at times, he's chained to a Roman guard, okay? So he's got the language of warfare floating through him. And he says, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, Be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Pray for the body of Christ. And pray on on my behalf that an utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now Paul, was a, he was in Rome at this time, and he's awaiting trial. He was chained sometimes night and day to a Roman guard, or at least he was on kind of a house arrest in a sense. So there were times where he was chained to a Roman guard. So he's obviously watching what they're dressed like, and he's giving sort of illustrative language to this kind of warfare mentality. He's realizing at this point in his life that what has happened to him is not just the people that have done it. It's not just the Roman guard. It's not just those that are in charge of Rome. It's not just that they need to overthrow natural government. It's that there is really spiritual reality that's going on. There are, there are evil spirits, principalities, and powers in high places that are behind some of the stuff that we're facing in life. And this is a man that would say this at a point in his life where he's been beaten and shipwrecked and left for dead. Time and time again, he's been persecuted one time after another in cities that he's gone to. And this is amazing that he could say this because here he is having, I mean, I believe this is, in, in a way, this is him having compassion on the people that have very, done this very thing to him. I mean, it's incredible. I, I, I know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He knows. Th- these guys that are doing this to me, it's not because they so desire when they get up in the, in the morning to persecute Christians. It's not because they're just innately evil, although we do have evil inside of us. It's not just that. It's that there is something behind that that we all need to realize. There is something behind humanity sinning from the beginning. The enemy is, the, is a part of our story from the beginning. I mean, have you ever, I mean, Paul's saying it like this. Have you ever thought about, um, I, I think I sh- shared this with you last week. Have you ever thought about, you know, you, you go into like, pretty terrible neighborhoods, and you see people on the street corners, and they're selling drugs, and then there's something like inside of us that rises up, and we go, you know, these people out here, think about these people out here selling dope, these people out here selling drugs, these women out here that are in pornography and strip joints and all this, these people. It's almost like this this characterization starts to happen if we're not careful, that if we just kind of rid these people if we rid the world of these people, then everything will be good. I mean, that's not what we're saying, but it's kind of like the ideology that we, that we speak out of our mouths. And my, my f- personal philosophy is people knew better, they do better. I mean, you got to have that kind of outlook. And when I say know better, I mean according to the Lord Jesus Christ, not just natural knowledge. I mean, have you ever had compassion For the person that didn't grow up with a father, the person that grew up on the streets, the person that didn't know what else to do other than to sell drugs, have we ever prayed for that person? Have we ever thought about that person? Have we ever thought about the person that didn't have a better situation and they didn't have a better example or a model and instead of demonizing them, we started to pray for them? Have we ever thought about the men and women in the pornography industry and instead of saying they're the ones that are dragging society down to be over-sexualized, have we ever started praying for them and realizing that they're people too? And there's something powerful that's behind all of this? Have we ever realized that the money makes the world go round and a lot of people get pimped out in the process? (laughs) That those that are in the music industry didn't start out that way? And they really did want to sing, that they wanted to do right, they wanted to give their gift to the world, and some music producer promised them the world, and they took it hook, line, and sinker, and all of a sudden they go down the slippery slope of wanting to be famous, and the greed, the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil, starts to take over and people start making money off of these people. That is called pimping, by the way. That is what that is. Have we ever had compassion on them? I know you have. I'm just saying this is, this is the way the people of God are supposed to exercise righteousness in the earth is to say that I know this is bad, but I know that God can redeem them. And this is what Paul was saying. He said, I know there's something behind those that are doing this to me. I know that we, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. I know that it's, it's against demons. I know that it's, it's against the wickedness, the wicked bonds of generational curses that some of us were born and to inherit And that only Jesus Christ and his precious blood can break us free from. And we know that the answer is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that. That's why he ended his sermonette to the Ephesian church by saying, pray for the saints. Pray for yourselves. Pray for the churches. Pray for me. That even though I'm in chains because I spoke the gospel, I preached the word of God, that I don't want to stop now. I want to preach even more boldly where I am today. He's talking about warfare. He says in verse 18, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view. Listen, with this in view. With what in view? An attitude of warfare. With this war in view. You need to have this war in view. You need to have that. We need to have this war in view. We're in a war. What's the war over? The war is over the souls of men and women. And we've been enlisted, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not. We've been enlisted into the army of the Lord, but we don't fight flesh and blood. We don't fight just flesh and blood. We fight principalities and powers, and we do that by the power of prayer. It starts there. I mean, there are many things we have to do we have need to act upon, of course. There are things we need to say, and there are things that we need to do. But something that we must do right now is we need to be a people of prayer. If God told you what it, what it would cost to have revival in your home or to have revival in your heart or to have revival in your city, if he told you, if he actually gave you some kind of letter that stated on there, one, two, three, and four, but it cost you like your life, it cost you all of your hobbies, it cost you all of your time, would you pay it? Mom and dad, would you pay it if your children would walk with the Lord in power, would you pay it? If the Lord said, If you would stand before me for an hour a day, I'm not giving you legalism here. I'm just saying, if God said to you, If you stood before me for an hour a day, your children will will rise up and they will go far beyond you, would you do it? Would you stand before God every night before you went to bed? Would you wake up early and say, God, here I am, and just do whatever you had to do to wake up? Would you do it? Do we believe that there's power in prayer? Prayer in and of itself is not a powerful thing. It's the one that we're talking to. We're talking about a connection. We're talking about this conversation is is not the same as one with your buddy. This isn't the kind of conversation that you have with some kind of delegate or congressman. This isn't the same kind of thing. This is a conversation with the God of all the earth. And we have an audience with him. I don't know a lot of famous people. I I just don't have any of those friends. I have no clout. I can't get you anything, all right? (laughs) I can't get you into anything. I can't get you anything for free. I don't know anybody on that level. And if I did, it's never never meant anything for my life. So stop seeking it, (laughs) because you'll get nothing out of it. But the amazing thing to me is that I can come to God, who owns it all, who knows it all, and I have an audience with Him. That blows me away. Nothing's holding me back. I can be best friends with the maker of heaven and earth. That's incredible. With this in view, a view of warfare, a view that we have an enemy who's active against God's purposes, that's willingly, willfully resisting us as often and as much as he can. With this in view, be a person of prayer with all perseverance. It's what it's going to require. Four things that prayer does. Prayer releases the power to make us strong. Prayer releases power to make us strong. In verse 10, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Don't be strong in yourself. You can't, there's no strength in you. You and I are barely able to wake up on time for prayer, let alone for our jobs. Don't rely on yourself. Don't trust yourself. Stop, tr- stop trusting yourself. You actually need God. We need God. Every commitment that we might make tonight, we actually need God to help us fulfill. When Scripture calls us to it, God gives us the grace to fulfill it, and that truly is the grace of God in salvation, and as we walk with Him, walking out our salvation. We must become a people of prayer. Prayer is released, or prayer releases the power to make us strong. The power of prayer is that those who pray will stay full of God's power. Those who pray are going to stay full of God's power. Have you ever noticed this? I could go on and on about this one, but you want to talk about the anointing of the Holy Spirit you don't know what that means, I simply am talking about the power of the Holy Spirit on your life. The power of the Holy Spirit on your life. The power of God on your life comes through when you're a full vessel, and then you start to release what God has filled you with. That's really the the way that it works. You're a simple person. I'm a simple person. We're not special people. We're people that touch God, and when you touch God and you start laying hands on people, stuff starts to happen. It starts to happen you don't have faith you touch God and he gives you the faith to release that into someone's life see we come with an empty bag but when you stand before God he fills up your bag and you've got stuff to give away that stuff is not for you and that stuff is not for me it's stuff that he gives us to give away to release to other people he strengthens us so that we can fight not only for ourselves but for others we can't defeat our problems we can't conquer our sins and we can't save the day in our own strength. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. We need God's strength and His power to overcome. But God releases power as we pray to make us strong. It's not about being strong in ourselves. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians in his second letter. Second Corinthians 12, chapter 12, verse 8 through 10. You'll remember this. It's kind of a mysterious, not only verse, but chapter. He says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He's talking about a thorn in the flesh. You remember this? He said that he had a thorn in the flesh, which he defined as a messenger of Satan that was sent to torment him. Now, I love how a lot of commentaries say that that was a sickness. Let me define what Paul said. He said, I was, What was given to me was a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, sent to torment me. Now, I don't know anybody that has a good theology on that. I I rarely, I've never heard anybody come into my office and say, a messenger of Satan has been released to my life to torment me. I've just never heard that. Not with that kind of clarity. I've heard like the devil's attacking me and half the time it's not really the devil. Well, of course it's not the devil, but half the time it's not demons. But this is the theology. He has some kind of theology where this actually happens. And he says, I, three times I pleaded or I prayed and I, and I stood before God and to take it away from me. But he said to me, God said to me, my grace, my empowering grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, he, Paul says, I will boast the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. Oh my gosh. This is not a theology that you hear too often in the Western world. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. A lot of people take this verse out of context. Lots of people. I hear it all the time. Here's what he's saying. He has persecution and he has opposition coming against him. And as a result of that, he pleaded that he would have victory over the enemy. That's what Paul did. I want to have victory over the enemy. And the victory that he sought was that he wouldn't have to deal with this anymore. That was the victory that he sought, which is, by the way, often what we are asking God to do. Take this away from me. And essentially what God told Paul is I'm not going to take this away from you, but I am always going to be enough for you to overcome it as it comes against you. When this comes against you, I will give you the grace that you need to overcome this, but I'm not going to give you the grace that takes it away. That's not what I'm going to give you. And three times he asked God to take this issue away, and the Lord said, no, I'm going to give you what you need when you need it so that you can always overcome. He was going to make Paul rely on him. Paul, I am not going to take you into a place where you don't need me. I am going to make sure, because of what I've called you to, that you will always need me. And ladies and gentlemen, whether you know it or not, whether I know it or not, that is literally where we stand. We need God all the time. And the enemy would try to convince us that we don't need God. That's why Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Stop being strong in yourself. Stop trying to do it by yourself. Stop thinking that you can. Stop trusting yourself. I give you a great example of that. I love it when young people fall in love. Now, I'm young, but I'm not that young anymore. My knees are telling me that. Okay. But I love it when you oh all right now. Now I love it when young people fall in love. It's like, oh, we're just in love. We just we just love each other. We love each other so much. We just love to love each other. That's how in love we are, amen. We just are. Nobody understands the kind of love that we have, amen, nobody. I appreciate your advice, but I know you can't you seriously can't understand. It's been so long since you felt the kind of love that I feel for this person. It's amazing. And I appreciate that and I respect that. I know I'm making fun of it, but you understand. Okay. I love it. I think it's great. I just smile and, and you know, good luck. <laughs> and I don't even believe in luck, so there, there's that. But uh. <laughs> but it's kind of funny because young people that want to follow the ways of God, they, they know that we got to have boundaries. You know, we can't be messing around. We can't be fooling around, right? We want to be pure. We want to live holy. We want to live holy before God, but I love you. And it's natural, okay? We we. We have, human beings have this thing called sexuality. It's, they have sex drives. They, that's something that's made for the marriage covenant. It's made for the marriage bedroom. But obviously we have that. And so people are drawn to be together. They're attracted to each other. That's normal. And so they start to slip in their boundaries. And then they start to hang out when they shouldn't be hanging out. And they start to go where they shouldn't go. And they start to do things that they shouldn't do. And all the while, they trust themselves. I'm not going to do that. He's not going to do that to me. She's not going to do that. Why in the world do you trust yourself? Ladies and gentlemen, I always look at young people and go, is this a piece of your brain? Because it probably should be in and working when you're thinking about your sexuality. Why do you think you're so strong? And why do you think they're so strong? I'm, I'm just giving you a great example. Listen, your body craves something, okay? And it's not going to stop at an opportune time. It's going to speed up. So don't go there. It, it, like I tell people, don't get in the boxing ring because you're going to lose. Just, you don't even have to get in. Don't even get into the boxing ring. I tell people, I look at young people all the time. I go, don't trust yourself. Just don't be alone with each other. Don't have that kind of relationship. If you have that kind of relationship, you're going to end up doing things that you're going to feel guilty about. And you ought to, because you, you will sin. We, we sin, ladies and gentlemen. And the devil loves that. And then, and then, you know, the enemy will start working on that. And before you know it, it's like, oh, you know, this is okay, and we're married in God's eyes. I mean, I've heard, I have hurt every kind of foolish thing you can think of. And I look at people, and I say, are we getting deep here? Are, we, are everybody Okay there's something coming out of me right now. Oh my gosh. I thought I was talking to young adults. There's only a few of you in here, but you should hear this. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, online, this is good stuff. This is, this is why most people should not come to me for counseling. You know, but they do, but they do, you know, but I'm just saying like, you know, if you want to stay pure, there's a way to do that. It's don't trust yourself. When I I married my wife, she was a single mom, and I realized like, even if I go to a family function with my wife on her side of the family before we were married, I'm saying something to her family. I knew that. As a man of God, I knew that. I knew that if I go to this family function, I better be committed to this woman because I'm saying something to her family, and I'm saying something to these boys. And I knew that if I stayed at my wife's house before we were married, if I went to her house And those boys went to bed because she was a single mom. They went to bed and they knew that Mr. Ben is downstairs with my mom. What kind of a witness is that for young men? See, here's the thing. If we want young people to walk in the things of God, you better live your life before them as an example. Because you're directly connected to what it is that you want for them. And so that's what I had to do. I told the boys, you want to be accountable? You go to tell a kid what you're not going to do. I told the boys, I'm not going to be alone with your mom. I respect her too much. So I just want you to know, when you guys go to sleep, Mr. Ben goes home. And I did. And we didn't kiss before marriage. We didn't do anything else before marriage. And I'll tell you, it wasn't because we are so holy. It was because I didn't get into the boxing ring. I didn't even want to try on the boxing gloves. You understand? I could go really far on this. But listen, I mean, like I tell young people, I'm always like, you can wait. you got lots of time to do all that. Lots of time. Okay? And you can do all that you want to do after you say, I do. Okay? You do all that. But just, if you want to live holy before God, you need to realize that you have an enemy. And that enemy is going to want to stop you from having a life in Christ. I mean, it's a plague in the church, the stuff that we don't want to talk about. We just don't even want to talk about this stuff. I wonder why, because there's a real problem. Don't pop the top. If you pop the top, somebody's going to get offended and somebody's going to get upset. One time I told my testimony in church. Are we, did we already step into this thing? We did, didn't we? Okay. One time I told my testimony in church of getting set free of, of sexual bondage and some stuff that I'd struggle with as I came into the Lord, and we had a woman in our church she called me on the phone. I think she meant to call Pastor Chris, but she called me. Somehow she got patched through to me and, and she basically said, "We don't the people of the church don't want to hear about what you did before you came to Jesus and who you were sleeping with and all this stuff." And I I mean, I about dropped the phone. I about dropped the phone. I was like, "Woman?" In my heart, I didn't say this to her. Do you not realize that our young people like 8 out of 10 men are on pornography? Do you not realize that when I was a youth pastor, the hardest job that I had was to help young people keep their pants on? I mean, do you not realize that? I'm sorry that your head's in the sand, but mine's not. And when I told a testimony about God delivering me, that was a word of hope for so many people. And I'm sorry you're offended, but you're just offended. Pop the top and let's stomp the devil. He's against us. He's actually winning, okay? We want to win. We've got to pop the top, tell the testimonies of those that are getting free from this stuff because they're coming out into the light, and we're finally talking about the things that we need to, and we're stomping the devil. We can do this, but it's because we're not trusting ourselves anymore. I'm strong enough. I can do this. No, no, no. When we're men and women of prayer, God strengthens us with his power, and it is released You want to be a vessel of power. Man, you got to be a man or woman of prayer. you got to be a man or woman of prayer. The anointing of the Holy Spirit will be on you. Amen. (laughs) Prayer Prayer releases power to overcome the battle. It says release, but I meant releases. Prayer releases power to overcome the battle. In verse 11, Paul says, I want you to be aware of the devil's schemes. This is talking about blueprints, plans. God has a plan for you. The enemy has a plan against you. There's a demonic network that works together. Familial, family, and familiar spirits that have assignments against our life. If that's scary to you, I'm sorry to have to reveal it tonight, but it's a, re- it's a reality. There are familial and familiar spirits that work against us. It's a demonic network. They're not omnipresent they're not always there. They don't know our thoughts. They can't guess our thoughts. But we have authority over all of the schemes of the devil. But not, we don't want to be ignorant or unaware that there are, in fact, schemes of the devil. And the word schemes means blueprints, which means the devil isn't that creative. He has specific ways of going about tricking and deceiving human beings. He's been, if you look in the Bible, you see sexuality is a massive one. Another one is pride. Another one is jealousy. He continues to use the same things over and over again. And the more that we know that this is happening, the more that we can be strong in God and overcome the work of the devil. I'm not saying we even have to focus primarily on the work of the devil, but we have to focus on being strong in God. And we do that by being men and women of prayer. When you lose your prayer life, I'm telling you, when you lose your prayer life, you're going to lose the power of God in your life. You just will. And I think a lot of people read the Bible and then they get really good at theology and they're really smart and they love to be the smartest people in the room. They love to be theologians. I'm just, this is what I think about theology, but they can't get free and stuff in their life behind closed doors. You wanna know why that is? Because we start to lose the connection, the vital connection that we have with Jesus Christ. The Bible says as we abide in the vine, the life-giving sap of the spirit of God starts to flow in, rush into our lives. And it is then and only then that we can do what God has called us to do and be Christ-like people. I think it's kind of interesting how we sometimes look at biblical truth. We sort of think like, um, you know, we get to a place or we arrive at some place where I'm a really patient person. All you need is one bad circumstance to bring you out of that, unless you're full of God's spirit and unless you're a man or woman of prayer. There's only one thing that's going to keep you in the perfect peace of God, and it's not because you're mature enough. Because all it takes is one tragedy to put your maturity on real display. That's all it takes. I've watched it happen. You've probably had it happen. I'm preaching to the choir on this. But the enemy gets right in there. He'll wait. He'll wait. The enemy will try, and he'll try, and he'll try, and he'll come in. And then when a tragedy happens, all of a sudden, our, all of our sensitivity is available for these things again that we, once have, we never struggled with before. I've watched people just flirt with stuff and had this concern in my heart. And um, we grow numb and we grow blind. We grow blind to the things that we need to be seeing and the things that we need to be aware of. He goes on to say our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. This means that much of what comes against us in the physical can have a spiritual source. Now, I know people can take this too far. They can go, that's the devil or that's the enemy. No, that's not always true. I mean, obviously, there's a stewardship over our life. If you're not stewarding your life properly, it it is poor choices, okay, that are causing some of the storms in your life. Storms in your life have different sources. Some sources are because you made sinful, poor choices. So you're reaping what you sowed, right? The Bible says you you reap what you sow. If you sow poor choices, you're going to reap poor results, all right? Now, if you're not sowing poor choices, some things are just life circumstances, some storms in our life is just the fact that we live on a broken planet. It's not the devil and it's not God. Some stuff just happens, okay? You get a cold, you get a cold. You get sick, you get sick. That's not always the devil, all right? It's just not. Even though I believe we can have authority over sickness and disease, I don't think it's always the devil because we have those things. That's not, that's not the case. But then there is times where the enemy comes against us in opposition, and that's what Paul is talking about those times, those storms. The enemy is sowing things into our life, and a lot of times he sows it, according to Scripture, is through false doctrine. That's one of the reasons why we need to know what the Bible says. And wouldn't you know, as we've been talking in our How to Study the Bible class, which you need to take as it comes up and is available through Immersion Discipleship School, wouldn't you know that approximately, the best statistics say that maybe 10% of Christians, if there's 100 Christians, maybe 10 read their Bible every day. Maybe. 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 And usually, in my experience, most Christians have no idea how the Bible came together. Most don't, have no clue whatsoever. Now, if you're too young in this to know all that, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying, if you're going to stake your life on the book as truth, you should know these kinds of things, or at least you should want to know these kinds of things. And if you don't know these kinds of things, that's my job to help get you there. And I will get you there, but I got to have you long enough to help get you there, okay? Or somebody in your life can lead you to the water and then you drink yourself. I don't want to feed people all the time and I don't want to bring water to people all the time. I want to show them where the water is. I want to show them where the food is, right? But you can't, you can show them where water and food is. You can't make people drink and eat, but that's the, that's the point of church. Church is a place where we come and get equipped, all right? It's a place where we come and get equipped, not just encouraged. But if I was the enemy, I would keep people from praying. You know, to do the screw tape letters, If I was the enemy, I would keep people from praying. You know what? Let's just stop them from going to prayer. Let's let's entertain them. Let's 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 come up with, I mean, every kind of entertaining vice that you can imagine. I mean, we will overstimulate a generation. They will not even have time. They won't even want, they won't even imagine letting go of the next season of whatever show they're into. They couldn't even fathom it that they would actually press pause on the television screen. Let's overstimulate a generation. Let's call them to a place of, of distraction and entertainment. I mean, one definition of entertainment is to detain someone from entering, to be entertained. I mean, how much entertainment do we need, really? I mean, think about it. How much, enter- how much, how much entertainment do we need? At the end of our life, nobody's, you're not going to remember the television shows. At the end of your life, you're not going to remember your vacations. I mean, you might have good memories on those, but if, you, if you're just a vacation taker, you're always taking a vacation, here's a thought. Here's a really good suggestion. Why don't you send somebody on a vacation that can't afford one? I mean, if you're taking too many a year, that might be a good thing, because I'll tell you, at the end of your life, you'll remember that, and so will they. I'm stepping on something here. I don't know where I'm <laughs> feeling out where the landmines are. If I was the enemy, man, I would get people as entertained as possible. Isn't it amazing? You ever gone to like Puerto Vallarta or some of the Cabo San Lucas? You know, like a mile out from some of these resorts are like the worst places on the planet. People are dying. People are being kidnapped by the thousands. The worst place, some of the worst places on the planet. Matter of fact, Mexico City uh, is one of the scariest places in the world, honestly. The kidnappings that go on there. The stories that I know people that grew up there, born and raised there. And they won't even go back. They're Mexican residents. They won't even go back to Mexico City. I mean, I mean, it's, it, some of these places that we frequent, we visit. I mean, we, it, it's, it's almost like Disneyland. You know, there's a Disneyland, and then outside of that, like, we don't want to go there, you know. <laughs> and the taxi cabs take us there as fast as, we, as fast as they can. That's really the way it works. I remember in, um, when I was in Mexico, we, I go there several times a year. I just, the Lord... I believe is going is raising up the Hispanic people to be a force to reckon with in the earth, as far as it, as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. That's what I believe. So we're investing into that. But anyways, I remember one time I was in Mexico and our friends were telling us that uh, there was a certain bridge where children would go after uh, after school. And uh, I'm not even sure if I can say this, but here we are. So, but they would go. These children would go, and the, a lot of kids, uh, w- you know parents are working or gone or whatever, so the kids would go out and play. And in, in, in this city, in this region that we were in, people for this period of time were picking up children. And they were ha- killing the kids, harvesting their organs on the black market. This is what was happening, okay? And so, literally, as they're telling this to me, this is what I said, take me there. This <laughs> just came out of my mouth. Take me there. I want to go there. We went there. We stood on that spot and we prayed. This is what we said. We said, we take authority over this wickedness in the name of Jesus. And we command that every person that seeks to touch a child for this purpose will all of a sudden not have any inclination to do so, or they'll get locked up and justice will be served. Now, I want all of them to give their lives to Jesus. Amen. But I, we prayed that the bonds of wickedness, that the generational curses would be broken. We stood there on, on that, right under that bridge, and we prayed that. And as far as we know, this thing like dried up. I'm not even saying it was just us, but we stood there. There was just a whole group of us, and we're just walking around like just disc- you know they uh, people probably thought I was nuts, but we, you know what I'm saying? We take me there. We shouldn't be afraid of that stuff. The, the light should go into the darkness. Take me to these places, right? Take us there. See, the enemy wants us to believe though we should be scared. We should be scared. Don't go. Don't go down there. Don't go there because you know it's really bad. Right, yeah, Jesus is really good. It's really powerful, in fact. Cool stories I've even heard. Uh, I I would go into like David Wilkerson's story, but anyways, I love that story. If you haven't read The Cross and the Switchblade, you should read The Cross and the Switchblade. It's an incredible, incredible story about how Teen Challenge got started. You need to read that. It's powerful. It's part of my history and that. But we have the power of God, and it is released... To overcome battles in our life. You might have personal battles, but I'm telling you, your personal battles are not just about you. You remember when David, I gave this prophetic word this last Sunday, you remember when David stood before Goliath, knocks him down, ends up cutting off his head. That's, you're not going to see that in a Christmas card, but cuts off his head. The Bible says he takes his head back to Israel. I mean, he takes his head back to Jerusalem. He took his head, ladies and gentlemen. That is like, David was ruthless. Oh my gosh. What did he do with the head? I mean, it doesn't, Scripture doesn't say. I mean, what? You ever thought about that? Probably shouldn't. I don't think the Action Bible covers that part of the story. But anyways, there's this, um, when David stands before Goliath and conquers Goliath, do you know that all of Israel won? The victory was not just about David conquering a giant. It was actually on behalf of Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, you are warring on behalf of your children, you're warring on behalf of your family, you're warring on behalf of your friends, and the victories that you have in God are going to bring freedom to other people. The prayers that you pray are going to bring freedom to other people. That is the way that it is. Sometimes we get so focused on just our issues, and when we get over-focused on our issues, we forget that God will cause us to be people that can conquer on behalf of others, Others that don't have a voice. Others that don't know to pray. Others that don't have what we have or know what we know. And so your issues matter to God. They do. But they're not the only thing that matter in your life. God has called you for even more than that. The third thing is prayer releases power to heal the sick. This isn't in this passage, but I need to bring it up. Before Jesus sent his disciples out to ministry, he gave them power and authority to do what? It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, he called them together and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God to perform healing. Jesus didn't send out his disciples without healing power. It's just a fact. Jesus sent out his disciples with the power to heal the sick. Today, Jesus gives us the same power to bring deliverance, to bring healing and miracles through prayer. And I want to tell you how to kickstart that in your life. You could say, I don't see a lot of that. I'm telling you, it's through prayer. It is not rocket science. If you start praying for people every day, you're going to see more stuff happen. Get on a prayer team. That's the first place that you can go. Get on a prayer team, start in church, and then watch how God will use you more and more and more. I mean, just start praying for people. Start looking people in the eyes with the difficult stuff that they're going through and start praying for people. I love it. I post this thing. I told you last week. I'll tell you again. I post this thing on Facebook, and I just, I love to pray. I want to pray for people, and I say every Tuesday, but now it's gone into, I can't pray for all of the requests on Tuesday, so I get a lot of requests where people are like, hey, I know it's not Tuesday, but, and I'm like, hey, I'm still catching up. Just let them keep, you know, let them rip, man. It's fine, you know, And, and I pray. I faithfully go over every single one of those, and I pray. A lot of times, I don't know exactly how to pray, so I pray in the Spirit. I pray in tongues. That's what I do. If you don't know what that is, we'll, we'll, we'll have to help you out with that. That's fine. But I pray over every single thing that happens. And every now and again, I get one of these praise reports that trickles in where somebody's super encouraged. I hate it when people forget to tell me the praise reports, though. You know, just I'm at coffee with somebody, and they're like, oh, yeah, remember that thing like you know, a year ago? Here's what God did. I'm like, come on. Man, you got to tell me that stuff. You know, Not because it was my prayer necessarily, but I want to hear the praise report. Right now I feel connected to you. I feel like we're, we're in this together. It, the Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not just your struggle anymore. It's our struggle. It might be your personal battle, but it's our struggle together now. We need to fight together. We need to link up and fight together. Jesus gave power to heal the sick, and they went around praying for folks, and stuff started happening. In James chapter 5, James says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. And then he goes on to say, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Do we believe that today? The effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. Is that something that you have in the forefront of your mind when you go to prayer? I can accomplish much. I, I think sometimes we look down on prayer. Maybe that wasn't the case 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 20 years ago. I don't, I don't know. I, was, I, I don't, wasn't around thinking this at that time, but I know that today... In our intellectual, analytical society, and in this part of the world, I think people pray less and less and less. When we have a prayer meeting, very few people show up, honestly. When we have a prayer time, very few people show up. The value for prayer is very little. And I'm just saying that to be honest, not to, you know, guilt you into some, because I don't have a meeting to invite you to, that if you don't show up, like, we know where you're at. (laughs) You don't care about prayer. That's where you're at, sucker. You don't even care at all. But you need to check your heart. You need to check your heart. Every year we do a fast for the church. And when we first started doing it, it was a 40-day fast. Obviously, you can't probably go 40 days without eating. But I would ask people, I I just bounce up to people. We do this 40-day fast, and you can fast different ways. We actually put together materials that can teach you how to fast and what to do. But as a church, as a covenant community, we want to stand before God and want to take this seriously. Not as a divine diet, but as the seeking of God. And so I just bounce up to people like, what are you doing during your fast? Oh, I, I, I'm, not really, I'm not really sure if I'm going to do it. Why? Why? Why are you, what are you not sure about? Your church is doing a fast. What are you not sure about? Can I go a little deep with you for a second? <laughs> As guilt starts to be lavished upon the crowd. What are you not sure about? This is a, listen to me. This is a covenant community that we're a part of together. And when the leaders of a church call a fasting and a prayer time, why is it that the people of God in their heart don't automatically think, how can I be there, rather than they just either check out because we're so numb? I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not blaming you, I'm just saying the enemy's involved in this, ladies and gentlemen, like this is a community, people, I'm not, this isn't about controlling people, but why is it that we're, we don't feel connected to that? Why is it that we feel like it's a buffet? Why do we feel like it's something that's not that important? Why do we feel like, oh, there's some people? What do we really think in our minds? Oh, the prayer people will go there. The people that really like that stuff will go there. I mean, isn't that all of us? I'm sorry. Isn't I mean, isn't that, don't we all love prayer? Don't we all believe in prayer? Don't we all really see that this is a scriptural truth? God just doesn't call some to it and then others not for it. Like we're together in this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You and I, we're fighting together. We're in this together. And so now that we've been doing the fast for like five to seven years, somewhere in there, I don't remember, but I've watched how more and more people have gotten on board and I'm loving it. I'm loving how people are just getting involved every year, more and more people are getting on board because I'm praying for that. I'm literally asking God, would you cause the people of our church to get involved in this and to not just live as islands, but we're together in this, whether we... Meet all the time or not, but we're 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 of one accord in this. We're of one mind. We're in unity on on these types of things. They're not just some effort that one person is really excited about. The effort of prayer means something. The prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I believe the enemy has tried to bind us where we don't believe this anymore. We believe that the power of prayer is very low. It's very little, and we just need to recapture this place that God has called us to. I want to. Call you to that tonight. Recapture this place. This scriptural truth. Prayer finally releases power to preach the gospel. In verse 19, Paul asks the church to pray for him to proclaim the gospel boldly. Don't you love that a guy who's in prison for preaching the gospel is asking the church to pray for him to preach the gospel? It's just fascinating. Like you would think the last person on the planet that needs to ask for this prayer request on a connect card, (laughs) this is like the last thing he's going to write on his prayer request card is pray for me that I might boldly proclaim. Like he's, I just, I don't want to stop now. I mean, yes, I'm in prison. And that's the place where we could easily get discouraged. The enemy's literally, physically trying to stop me from doing this. But now I realize that my prison sentence is an opportunity to preach the gospel more boldly. So would you pray for me? I mean, who turns a prison sentence into an opportunity and a platform to preach God's word? Incredible. Incredible. A man of prayer would do that. A woman of prayer would do that. See, a person of prayer, pray for me. I can't do it without your prayers. He's awaiting trial, and yet he's still pressing in for the advancement of the gospel. Prayer is powerful, powerful. Our prayers before God for our nation are powerful. I don't know why in the world we forfeit our biblical worldview over to a nationalistic understanding. I have no idea why that happens. I just don't even relate to half of what I hear said these days, honestly. We want to see the enemy's back broken. It is going to be because we come to God, who is the one that can do something about what we feel so seriously about, honestly. I just want to ask you a question. I'm going to close with this, okay? And if you're, if you're watching online, I'm asking everybody this question. Are you a man or woman of prayer? Are you a man or woman of prayer? Don't answer out loud, please. I mean, if you want to, that would be strange, but probably be better if you didn't. Are you a man or woman of prayer? And if so, or if not, how would you define what that actually is personally? Without me defining it for you, how would you define that? What does that look like in your mind? And is your prayer life, whatever it is, whether it's a little or a lot, is it filled with compassion and love for other people and not just your own needs? Is your prayer life filled with the desire to see other people where God has them to be? Or is your prayer life filled with the needs that you have? Or is your prayer life running on empty? telling you the things in your life are going to get settled in prayer. Maybe not all of them worked out perfectly the way you want them to, but at minimum, your heart will be at peace. At minimum, your heart will be at peace. You may not get over something, but you will be able to walk through it because God will give you what you need. He will strengthen you. He will help you to overcome the battle that you're facing, whether that's just internally or externally. God will cause you to have power for other people as you pray for them, extend prayer out to other people, and he'll also cause you to, cause you to have a desire to advance the gospel. And I just think it's one of those things, like we are, we are in our country, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel and the advancement of the gospel is decreasing rapidly. And what is taking its place is, is a very interesting thing that I don't think any of us have seen before. So none of us... Are an authority on what is going on in the world. A lot of us are curious about what is happening, especially in our country. I've never seen it. You've never seen it, but God has already seen it. Amen. I don't care who our president is. I, I really, I mean, seriously, I don't care who our Congress people are, whether I like them or dislike them, whether whether I think they're righteous or unrighteous. I, I look at God. I'm looking at God. What God can do. I mean, did it ever stop the people in the Bible from contending? with God, to see a nation change? No, absolutely not. But don't forfeit your voice to public opinion. Do not forfeit your voice to the polls at large. Give your voice to the power of prayer. Give your voice to the place of prayer. It's where it's going to matter. And from the place of prayer, we act. From the place of prayer, we bring justice. From the place of prayer, we bring reconciliation. But I'm telling you, we're probably not going to bring the right thing to the right place unless we start in the place of prayer. That's what I believe. We're gonna run out there and say things we shouldn't say. We're gonna run out there and do things that we shouldn't do, and we're gonna to have to keep taking steps back. We're gonna to have to keep taking steps back because we're not men and women of prayer. And That's where we have to start. We start in the secret place. We move out into the gathering place, and then we go into the public place. This is, this is the model, I believe, that Jesus provided for us in the Gospels. He was a man who lived his life in the secret place. He went out into the gathering places with his disciples, and he moved from there into the public place and the marketplace. And he manifested the works of the kingdom everywhere that he went, which is exactly what we are called to do today. It might look a little different in the world that we live in, but it is the same substance that we see Jesus live with. It's the same substance that we're contending for, and it's what I'm encouraging you with. This is a passage I leave you with tonight. This is my verse. It was prophesied over me from the time that I was born again, and I've heard it many, many times ever since. It's a verse that I remember. It's a verse that I pray. It's a verse that I prophesy. It's a verse that I believe is even for our times. And I carry it in my heart. Psalm 27, 13. The psalmist said, I am still confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I am still confident of this. Another translation said, I would have fainted, I would have given up had I not believed that I would have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And whatever we're facing, whatever you're facing, we've got to believe and be confident of this, that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, not just someday, not just years from now, not just some other generation that we're not a part of, but today, in our generation This is what keeps us people of prayer. This is what keeps us people of action. And these are the kinds of people that we want to be moving forward. So I'm encouraging you to do just that.